You are listening to Affirm, the podcast for women of color who affirm their worth, value mental health, and seek wholeness. I'm your host, Davia Roberts, and today's affirmation is, I deserve to be. You are listening to episode 46, a Tatiana Jefferson, why people of color don't call the police for wellness checks. Thank you for tuning in to the final episode of the Affirm podcast. And yes, you heard me correctly. A few months ago, I did announce that single-handedly running the podcast was a bit too much work for me independently. And so that I was essentially kind of calling community in to support this endeavor. And I had a goal of 500 Patreon supporters. And unfortunately, we didn't reach that goal. But for those of you that did pledge and you have been supporting, I greatly thank you. This has been a great run and a great learning experience. And I do believe that this show that I did not believe would have the impact that it's had in the short time since its creation has truly surprised me. And I'm so thankful for everyone that's been a part of this community um, during that time, whether you are a Patreon supporter or not. For those of you that are Patreon supporters, I will be uploading the final season of the Affirm podcast to Patreon. And so I thank you. Um, I thank you for your support. I thank you for the love, the messages, DMs. And once again, regardless if you are a Patreon supporter or not, thank you for the love and support. And if you would like access to the last season of the show, you can become a Patreon supporter by going to patreon.com forward slash affirm podcast. And the link is in the show notes. But honestly, I didn't know how to give the final episode justice. I didn't know if it was just going to be like, feel good to me processing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That type of thing. But then this weekend, there was the sad death of a Tatiana Jefferson in Fort Worth, Texas. Now, I do want to give a trigger warning and let you know that I will be explaining how her death came about. And so if that feels too much for you, this may not be the correct episode for you, or you may want to fast forward about 10 minutes in. That's just guesstimates. I haven't edited this yet. But I'm going to be honest and say her death has really hit me in a way that has just been really hard to process. Very, very challenging. And if you are unfamiliar this past Saturday, October 12th, um, Tatiana Jefferson was in her home playing video games with her eight-year-old nephew. She had actually moved back home to take care of her mother because her mom was having some health issues. And she was just up late playing games with her nephew, um, taking advantage of the cool air. You know, the temperatures have finally dropped in Texas. And so her door was open. And because it had gotten so late, one of her neighbors actually got a little concerned. I was like, okay, it's really late right now and her door is open. Is she okay? Is the family all right? Um, and not wanting to trespass or interrupt anything or put himself in danger, he essentially called the non-emergency line for the police to conduct a wellness check. He was like, I'm not sure if anything's going on, but let me just call for them to conduct a wellness check. 
And for those of you that are unaware, a wellness check is where the police come to check the safety of the residents. For mental health clinicians, this may happen when there is a suspicion that a client may be taking actions towards suicide or, you know, that maybe they're in a dangerous situation, things like that. And once the police arrive, they, they announce themselves. That's the standard practice and inform the household that they're present. Um, and when like mental health is involved, they may do a brief assessment if they're a mental health officer. And there's protocol essentially, right? But this didn't happen that day. So instead, an officer arrived. His name is Aaron Dean. And he basically went around the house, had like a flashlight and his gun out and and through the window could see movement in the house. When he saw movement in the house, because you know, people live there, it's a home. He automatically yelled like, put your hands up, put your hands where I can see them type of stuff. The moment he finished his sentence, he shot. So what breaks my heart is really just putting myself in that moment and trying to rationalize. I'm like, I'm in my house. I hear a noise and I go to try to figure out what's going on. And I hear someone yelling at me. Number one, what? Well, like, number one, what are you saying? I don't even have a minute to register what you've said. There's a flashlight in my face through a window from outside. And before I can even register what you've said, I've been shot. And I can only think about how traumatized her nephew feels. Her eight-year-old nephew who was just playing games, just playing Halo with her seconds before this, who now will have to bury his aunt. Because an officer who is supposed to protect and serve didn't do that for her. So not only has an innocent woman's life been taken, not only was her nephew traumatized, her family shattered, but to me, it just leaves Black folks specifically, you know, angry and heartbroken and just, I find myself just going back and forth between those two strong emotions, knowing that the police protect some, but not all. And I think even if you're not a black person, there are other people of color who also relate to this grief, knowing that regardless if you're black or not, there are only some lives that are truly protected. And that's dependent on your race, your shade, or just your access to power and wealth. We know that dollars can take you far depending on the situation, all of that. But the reality is we all deserve to be protected and served but that's not happening. And this is just another instance that solidifies that. This woman was in her home with her family and she, and she won't ever get to spend that time again with them. And even though I'm angry and I'm mourning you know, just the loss of her life. I also find 
myself livid about the injustice of this country, the rampant racism of this country, these biases that people say, I don't, you know, I'm not racist. Um, I would never, I treat everyone the same. I don't see color, that crap. Um, that there is so much that just needs to be done, you know, because pretending that these things don't exist is dangerous and it causes people's lives to be lost. Um, but it also makes me think about y'all, you know, not just my black sisters, but my black, indigenous, Asian, Latina, like so many other women of color who listen to this podcast, who sadly could have come across a similar fate, especially when considering mental health. Because let's be honest, wellness checks are very common in the mental health field. In fact, I don't know a single clinician who wasn't trained to call a non-emergency line, you know, when your client isn't responded or you're concerned that they may harm themselves and all these things like that. It's a part of the protocol. That's what you're trained to do. That was what I was trained to do when I was a student at UT. You know, you if you are concerned, if your client's not showing up, they've expressed that they may harm themselves, you know, things like that. You call the officers to conduct a wellness check. And I can even recall being out of grad school as a beginning therapist and working at this trauma center. And one of my black clients had stopped showing up for a session. And there is a history of, you know, suicidal thoughts, but they were pretty solid. Um, and I remember expressing concern to a supervisor and she was like, maybe you need to do a wellness check. And I remember looking at her, no, that would be an issue. I can only imagine the fear and sheer terror that my black client would have who has had ne negative experiences already with the police or just the fact that even if even if this client hadn't had previous negative experiences i for one have never been arrested but i know if police start knocking at my door i'm going to be suspicious what do you want why are you here I'm, more than likely i'm not opening the door because my like, i ain't did nothing i ain't opening the store like, like I'm calling other, you know, other neighbors, like some, somebody come out here. So I remember having to have this conversation, like I can call family members, you know, who have been written on this documentation, like we'll find somebody, like, I don't care if they got to drive down here from a different city. I'm not calling the police and it's possibly escalating. I do not feel that would be the safe thing to do. And I think that's a sad reality for other therapists of color, um, for clients of color, because there are some people, whether they're a person of color or a white person, I think there are some folks who, who are naive to the reality that race plays a role in how you're treated for something that should be as harmless as a wellness check. And, you know, because we think that's harmless. We're like, well, it's the, the cops. They're, they're supposed to protect us. But when we have a history of that not being the case, how much more anxiety does that bring to the situation? How much more 
valid concern and fear does that bring up for us? And so even with, you know, the loss of the Tatiana, it made me truly revisit how as clinicians and people, you know, as clients as well, when it comes to our mental well-being, how are we taking care of ourselves and safeguarding ourselves if things get to a point um, where we need someone else to check in? And so for those of us listening, obviously, we we live in this very, you know, you do your thing, you mind your business, I mind mine. But when it comes to situations like these, the ability to have community, the ability to know your neighbor and to have a neighbor you trust that can check in on you, a close friend who has a key to your apartment. When we have that, I can only imagine how much more confident I could have been as a clinician to be like, you know what? We already have this list of three people who live in the same city, who live near her, that she trusts, you know, for a call. And then, you know, we we have a list, but what if part of our intake, you know, the first time that you meet with your therapist, it's like, okay, let's get permission for me to call these people. If I have valid concerns that something is wrong, that you are in danger or you are in need of support that I cannot get to you or whatever the case may be, but I can actually talk to them in advance and we talk about what this process would look like and they get to save my number in their phone so that I don't get, you know, (laughs) the um, rejection when I call because it's an unknown number, but that we already have a system in place that there is truly a wraparound approach to our well-being and that is not just you meet with your therapist and that's it but it's i meet with my therapist and here's my backup if things go left for whatever reason and truly not being alone in this thing called life because i can only i can only think about how much support we could feel if we actually had folks who we knew would show up for us when those moments hit And even if it's just for somebody to say, hey, she's not doing good, Um, maybe the hospital should be called. What if that's what happened? I'm not expecting my neighbor to turn into my therapist. No, but it would be nice if my therapist could be on the phone with them while they checked on me. You know, things like that. And obviously there are a lot of a lot of things that would need to be in place for that to happen successfully. A lot of things that, you know, would have to go over with lawyers and all, all the things, all the logistics would have to be worked out. But what I can say to you all in this time where you may feel this heaviness of this anger, frustration, this grief, this sadness, this sorrow, just sheer confusion um, with her loss. Honor it. It's valid. Grieve how you need. Be safe in the ways that you grieve. But I also just think about this other aspect when when so many of us and so many of you have already shared, you're like, I've had horrible instances where my college called the police when I expressed that I was suicidal. And they actually handcuffed me and put me in the car and then drove me to the hospital. And that's normal. 
And that's sad. And that is part of their protocol. But I'm like, how much does that escalate the trauma that we're already dealing with? That's, I mean, it makes it traumatizing. So my hope is that we can be begin to, to look at our healing work as not independent, but a collective work that needs to be held, um, not only by ourselves, but with each other. And that possibly that could help in this one area. Will it prevent everything? Of course not, because people are people. As simple as that, and hatred is hatred, and bigotry is bigotry. But my hope is that we could begin to to release shame and allow people to lean in with us, and sometimes just kind of carry that load, whatever it looks like. I don't have all the answers. I I truly don't. But I am praying for each and every one of you for your safety, for those of you that have had interactions, um, for those of you that have lost loved ones due to those interactions with police. But please, by all means, take care of yourselves however you need. Honor what you're going through. And I, I just say thank you for allowing me to be a part of your journey. These past few episodes, whether you're a new listener or you've been rocking with me for years, it is an honor. And I pray for nothing but peace, safety, and joy in your life. Wishing you all the best. Peace and light.